All right, everybody, welcome to the Bible Study Podcast. I'm Travis Pauley, and here we have one goal, learn to love like Jesus. I'm here remotely recording with Wes McAdams, the host. Hi, Wes. Hey, brother. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you? Good. I'm doing all right. We're Hopefully, this will be the last. I keep thinking every time you know my family gets mm-hmm. COVID or gets exposed to COVID, I keep thinking, oh, this will be the last time we ever have to mess with this, and the Lord... <laughs> says you know not so fast don't don't make plans without asking me first so i need to keep saying lord willing so lord willing uh this will be the last time we have to deal with this but you know my family is getting over being sick and so we are using and tapping into the wonderful uh, technology that we have at our disposal and what we would normally be doing together in person we're doing across town so here we are that's right and wes this I th- this is going to be the last episode for a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. I think, yeah. I think we're going to take a break. Um, we're doing some other stuff. It, this might be a great opportunity to encourage people to check out all the work that you do for McDermott road um, at, at, on our YouTube channel or look us up yeah. on uh, Apple podcast or wherever. But um, yeah, so we're doing, we're doing a Sunday morning Bible class online and then we're doing daily devotionals through the summer um, that all go along with our study of the book of Matthew. And so mm-hmm. we're doing that. I'm traveling a lot for speaking engagements. And so we've just got a lot going on this summer. And I thought it'd be good for us to sort of take a break for a little bit. We'll take a few weeks off and that'll allow us to reset and get get ahead again. Um, yeah. But yeah, so this will be the last episode we put out for a while. Yeah, but if you, if you miss here in West Weekly, then there's morning devotionals Monday through Friday and a Sunday morning class you can either watch live or catch up on, uh, on all on the book of Matthew. So we're going to keep yeah. the content coming. Yeah, there's definitely, there's definitely two. Somebody told me the other day that they were traveling. They said, I listened to three hours of you on the way here. And I said, that's a lot of Wes. That's a lot of Wes. That's a lot of Wes. Too, I listened to a lot West, of Wes and that's a lot of Wes. <laughs> yeah, poor, poor Travis. That's his job is to listen and edit Wes. That's that's a big job to listen and edit Wes. So there you go. Oh, it's, it's good to do it. It's good to do it. Now you gave me a brief, you basically just told me sort of the title of what we're going to be talking about today. And I- You know what? Before had, Before we get into that, and I, yeah. and I know you're anxious to talk about hermeneutics. I, I am because I have uh, no idea. Before we get into that, I want to give a shout out to the University Church of Christ in Charlotte, North Carolina. Um, Charlotte, North Carolina. The, the Smith family, um, especially, uh, they, they started listening to the podcast. And, and so they started talking about the podcast to some of the congregation there in Charlotte, North yeah. Carolina. And, and they they initially wanted to do like a zoom conference for their college students there a few weeks ago, but they were like, well, could we, could we get Wes and Holly to come out? So my wife and I traveled out to Charlotte and and got to hang out with them. So I I just, I I say that because they're, they're awesome people and really enjoyed getting to know them, all the people with the university church there. Uh, But also because I love the way that this podcast allows us to uh, to kind of get to know people all over the country. I'm sure that happens to you a lot too, Travis. Everywhere oh, yeah. I go, people say uh, something about your booming radio voice. So <laughs> you, you nice. are, your voice is well known. <laughs> that's cool. Well, that's cool. Yeah, shout out to University Church of Christ. That's awesome. Yeah. Okay, yeah. So, so you, were, you were about to introduce our topic of yes. cruciform hermeneutic. Cruciform um, that, hermeneutic. That is quite, a, quite a mouthful. But it's probably uh-huh. shorter 
than um, than what it could be. And we'll talk about that in a second. Um, and and just so that I say this in the beginning, I Googled the term cruciform hermeneutic because I was thinking, I was hoping I came up with that term. I did not come up with that term. <laughs> Other people have also used that term. Um, and I saw a lot of discussion back and forth and uh, just some of what people I think mean by that is different. Um, mm. So when I say cruciform hermeneutic, I may or may not mean what someone else means by that. Um, I'll get into exactly what I mean by a cruciform hermeneutic as we go. But uh, let's just start with hermeneutic or hermeneutics um, and what hermeneutics are, um, what is our hermeneutic. Um, and and basically that term, I, I should probably, add, I'll put you on the spot, Travis, is that a, a term that, you know, it's always funny, preachers use terms sometimes from the yeah. pulpit and a lot of times when they're just talking to each other but is that a term that that the average 20 something year old or 30 something <laughs> year old is is familiar with you think i've definitely heard it used but i couldn't give you a definition that's that's kind of what i figured and i think that there's yeah. probably a lot of people in that category um so a hermeneutic is is the the interpretive lens that we use to interpret to to read scripture or when mm. we're reading scripture. In other words, it's how we interpret scripture. And a lot of people, it's interesting, a lot of people say, I don't interpret scripture, which I always find really funny because we do, we interpret everything. Yeah. We interpret, I'm interpreting your facial expressions as we talk. Uh, I'm right. interpreting your tone of voice. We interpret the stop sign. When we come to a stop sign, we interpret a book that we read, a novel that we read. And we're asking all kinds of questions, particularly what does this mean? And then, hmm. especially with the Bible, because we're also trying to apply it to our lives, and we're trying to say, how does right. this apply to me? And and if we're going to do that, then we have to have a lens through which we read. And and really, there's there's a lot of layers to our our hermeneutic. There's there's a lot of layers to the interpretive lens that we use. And so, I'm going to suggest that we we get really specific with ourselves and i don't just mean you and i but everyone listening about what is my hermeneutic how do i read scripture how do i interpret scripture what are some of the good questions are things like what are the assumptions that i make about scripture when i read it what are mm. some of my biases that i bring to the text and when someone says i don't interpret scripture what they mean is I don't know how I interpret scripture, or mm -hmm. I have no idea what lens I'm reading this through. It's really not a good thing to say, I don't interpret scripture or things like, well, I just do what it says. <laughs> I always ask people, when people say that, it's like, so how's your arc coming along? You know, are you, are yeah. you building an arc? And they say, of course not, right. I'm not building an arc because God told Noah to build an ark, not me. And it's like, okay, well, there you go. You've, you've applied some sort of a hermeneutic to say, this is not a universal command. This was a specific command to Noah and to his family. So we all have some sort of a lens through which we're reading scripture. And we, we have to be honest with ourselves and, and talk about it because the more we talk about it, the more we can analyze it and even adjust it if necessary. Yeah. So we have to admit it or acknowledge it. We have to analyze it and we have to, we have to adjust it as necessary. So I want to read a, a scripture with us just to kind of kind of tease out how Jesus dealt with people's wrong hermeneutic because the the Jewish people with whom Jesus interacted they had a hermeneutic as well they had a way of reading and interpreting and applying scripture to their lives and Jesus 
even though we don't, Jesus didn't use the, the term hermeneutic, um, right. e- even though that, that term isn't found there, it's definitely the idea. So we're going to look at Matthew chapter 12, verses 1 through 8 to start with. Matthew chapter 12, verses 1 through 8. And of course, if somebody's listening and they're familiar with this story, it's where Jesus and his apostles are walking through the grain fields on the Sabbath. In fact, our, our favorite TV show, The Chosen, uh, portrays oh, this as well. And you so went they're there before I did. <laughs> Sorry, I stole your thunder. Um, <laughs> and as they're walking, they're they're picking grains of of uh, they're picking grain and they're they're eating them. And it's the Sabbath, and you're not supposed to. You can eat on the Sabbath, you just can't harvest on the Sabbath. And so they're essentially harvesting because they're plucking grain as they're walking along. Now, of course, that's a rule that they created. That, that idea of not harvesting because they wanted to, you know, or, or how much you can or how far you can walk, all of these mm-hmm. rules that surrounded the very simple command not to work on the Sabbath and to keep it holy, uh, to right. rest on the Sabbath. And so they, they created this entire framework to guard the Sabbath, to keep it from being violated. Um, Travis, do you want to read for us? You can uh, look at, um, read verses 2 uh, two and following. I may interrupt you. I don't know, but uh, Matthew sure. 12, starting in verse two. But some Pharisees saw them do it and protested, look, your disciples are breaking the law by harvesting grain on the Sabbath. Jesus said to them, haven't you read in the scriptures what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He went into the house of God and he and his companions broke the law by eating the sacred loaves of bread that only the priests are allowed to eat. And haven't you read in the law of Moses that the priests on duty in the temple may work on the Sabbath? I tell you, there is one here who is even greater than the temple. But you would not have condemned my innocent disciples if you knew the meaning of this scripture. I want you to show mercy, not offer sacrifices. For the Son of Man is Lord, even over the Sabbath. Okay, awesome. So I always kind of chuckle inside when I read those words, have you not read? Um, yeah. And your translation said something like, haven't you read the scriptures or something like that? Right. And and I think he's talking to the Pharisees and asking them, haven't you read the Bible? Don't you, yeah. don't you know the Bible? And, and it's really laughable because of course they've read the Bible, right? Of right. course the Pharisees have read these scriptures. They're familiar with these scriptures. They're familiar with these ideas. In fact, Jesus even talks to them as if they have read it. It's, it's not that they haven't read it. It's that they haven't read it correctly. And so they haven't Mm. really read it. They haven't understood it. They haven't taken it to heart. And so Jesus asked them kind of facetiously, have you not read? Have you not read these these passages of scripture? And then when he gets to that that end part where you read in verse 7, I tell you, he says, if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned Mm -hmm. the guiltless or you would not have condemned my apostles. So Jesus is saying, if you had understood this phrase, if you had understood the idea that God desires mercy and not sacrifice, then you would have properly read and understood the passage about David taking the showbread or the passages about the priests that are working on the Sabbath in the temple. There's Mm -hmm. priests working in the temple every Sabbath, and there's, there's David. A man after God's own heart, and he takes the bread that that was that he wasn't supposed to eat because he was hungry, and so Jesus says, "If you had if you had really understood this phrase, then you would have properly understood these other passages, 
And if you mm -hmm. had properly understood these other passages, then it would have worked itself out in practical application and you wouldn't have condemned innocent people. I mean, there's so many layers there and it's really beautiful to me. Jesus says this, this phrase, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, is a part of a hermeneutical lens that you've ignored. You haven't incorporated that lens. And again, I keep using the word right. lens because I, I think that's a great metaphor. It's like glasses or, or like a piece of glass that you're looking through. It's not what you're looking at, but it's what you're looking through. And so the phrase, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, should have been a lens through which you read the story of David or through which you, you read the commandments about the priests on the Sabbath. And then you would apply those passages correctly when it came to actually living them out. So that, that phrase right there, let, let me just kind of throw it back to you, Travis. When you hear that phrase, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, how, how did your translation put that again? I want you to show mercy, not offer sacrifices. Mm, yeah. So what is it that kind of comes to your mind when you, when you hear that phrase? Well, you know, it's interesting. It's something I was thinking about since you sort of set up our topic for today, this passage you chose in Matthew 12 ends up being a really great example of what I was thinking about that, you know, I have, I grew up in church. I have good Bible Christian, Bible loving Christian parents that really, you know, had a studying scripture and uh, the church I went to, they were big on, you know, being in the word every single Bible class. And, and, uh, and so I have, you know, I feel pretty good about my Bible knowledge a lot of the time. But one thing that happens over and over again, especially when, like when we do this podcast where we're studying scripture, is maybe it's a scripture I haven't read in a while, or maybe it's a scripture mm. that I haven't, maybe I haven't even read since I was a kid. And I know this one, I've, I've certainly read it since being a kid, but I, I, it reminds me of how a lot of these types of passages where Jesus is, is arguing with the Pharisees about a law, that they say, you know, so-and-so is breaking the law, or you're breaking the law, your disciples are breaking the law. And Jesus is sort of showing them how, well, that's not actually the case. I'm breaking your law. I'm breaking your mm -hmm. traditions. I sort of remember going through those passages as a kid and thinking, well, this is, you know, Jesus is coming along and he's, he's removing the law. Like the law's mm. done. And now like going through it, like we have already, it's like he was using these moments to teach them that they were, interpreting the law wrong all along you know it's it's right. it's it's a very different thing than jesus and i think the the perception that i think a lot of christians have that jesus just came and you know the law's over it's like no he's you know he's like we say a lot he's fulfilling the law and he's mm -hmm. coming along and tearing down the fences that they've put around the law you know over the years to the point where they don't even understand the you know, the, the hierarchy of commands given, you know, I want you to show mercy more than sacrifice um, like that. And, and again, I think it's something that we'd probably do as well. It's, it's, we, we put emphasis on the things that maybe seem easier to understand or, or provide mm. a, a better boundary for us. Um, Cause that I want mercy, not more than sacrifice that phrase uh, that kind of makes my uh, <laughs> kind of makes me, me, me a little, concerned about, well, how do you, how do you know when it's better to show mercy than, you know, it's, it's, it's offering, it's, it's inviting you to make, uh, careful judgments, uh, when you mm. see people doing yes. things, uh, that, that 
seem to be at odds with what God wants them to do. But yeah. uh, it, all that to say, like the, uh, I think even the interpretation of how I looked at scripture as a kid versus how I'm reading it now as an adult and having, you know, more and more people in my life that, that, uh, that make me dive into scripture in a different way. I mean, that's, yeah, uh, that's one of my you, initial you, thoughts. You bring up so many good points there. And, and one of which is that maturing process, like you said, mm -hmm. from when we're a kid to when we're an adult. And unfortunately these, unless you have a corrective person in your life, I think there's an yeah. assumption that we, sometimes make and, and certainly i think that people in jesus day made this assumption that as you get older you become more mature and that's that's only true if you have the right influences in your life mm -hmm. unfortunately if you don't have the right influences you become you become hardened by the deceitfulness of sin you your interpretive lens becomes more concrete and mm -hmm. and it's very difficult to see outside of that hopefully we have in our lives people who are constantly helping us to acknowledge and adjust our our hermeneutic so that we're we're constantly saying oh well maybe i'm reading this passage wrongly or maybe i'm applying this passage wrongly and so jesus does this for the pharisees now of course they're unwilling to listen and unwilling to accept his adjustment for but for but for us like you said it provides this necessary help to us to say actually it's very easy to assume, and that's what we do is we assume. So we, we, have, this, we have this assumed hermeneutic when we start. Everybody mm -hmm. does. If you just go to a hotel room and you're an atheist and you pull open the drawer and there's the, the Gideon Bible there and you start reading, you're going to have an assumed hermeneutic. And you're not going to have an informed hermeneutic because you've never read it before or you assume all kinds of bad things. You're an atheist. And so it's like, I don't believe in this God and this this mythical book that these Christians believe in. And so you're going to have all of these assumptions through which you're reading the text, but all of us do. All of us have some sort of an assumption. And so Jesus helps us to acknowledge and then adjust those assumed assumptions and then develop informed assumptions because it's right. easy to assume that what we should prioritize as religious people is religious ceremony, right? So we, we should think, well, you know, worship is the most important thing in the world. And, and, and going through ritual and the, the rituals that God commanded us, those rituals have to be the absolute most important thing in our life. And that tends to be how religious people think. But Jesus mm -hmm. says, actually, within the scriptures themselves, there's a better hermeneutic that you use the word emphasize. We have this tendency to emphasize one thing over, over the other, and we're constantly making judgment calls. And certainly the the Pharisees are making a judgment call here, and we all do. And we yeah. have this tendency to prioritize or emphasize ritual and ceremony as religious people. We have this tendency to, to prioritize and emphasize ritual and ceremony over people and people's needs. And Jesus says, because you don't have the right sort of hermeneutic, because you don't, you're not reading the scriptures rightly, you've misjudged these disciples. And so one of the things that we could do based on what Jesus says here is we could we could incorporate the character of God into our hermeneutic because that's he's quoting from Hosea chapter 6 and we'll we'll read that passage next Hosea 6 verses 4 through 6 and and that speaks to what does God desire what does God want what is God's character if we assume the character of God is is one that Ritual and ceremony is the most important thing. And God wants you to get all of the rituals and ceremonies right. 
and everything else pales in comparison to getting all the rituals and ceremonies right. If that's the assumption we make, and a lot of people do, well, then Jesus says, you're going to misread the scriptures. You're going to ignore certain parts that you should not be ignoring, and you're going to misjudge people. And you're, you're going to end up acting unjustly because you, you don't incorporate the character of God and a true knowledge of the character of God into your study of scripture. So Hosea chapter six, verses four through six says, what shall I do with you, O Ephraim? What shall I do with you, O Judah? Your love is like a morning cloud, like the dew that goes away or goes early away. Therefore, I have hewn them by the prophets. I have slain them by the words of my mouth and my judgment goes forth as the light. And then he says, in, in the English entered, it reads, for I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice, the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. Does your, do you have yours open there at Hosea 6.6? 6, 6? What yeah, in six, in 6 it says, I want you to show love and not offer sacrifices. Mm, yeah. I want you to know me more than I want burnt offerings. Yes, that's so good. And the word there, when he says, I, I want you to show love or I desire steadfast love, the, the Hebrew word is chesed. And the, the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Hebrew scriptures, translates that as mercy, chesed, mm. steadfast love. And, and God says, I want you to show steadfast love. I desire steadfast love, not sacrifice. I desire the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. This is what God wants. God wants us to show mercy even more than he wants sacrifices. He's not, he's not, he's not one of these pagan gods that is eating the sacrifices. He doesn't need our bulls. He doesn't need our goats. He doesn't need our lambs. What he needs is for us to show him chesed, the way he shows us chesed, the way he shows us steadfast love and mercy. He wants us to show steadfast, faithful covenant love towards him, but also towards each other. And here's how right. Jesus, Jesus seems to apply it, is this mercy that we show to others. And if they had had the character of God as their primary hermeneutic and understood this is who God is, God is slow to anger and abounding in chesed, in steadfast love. He, he shows mercy to a thousand generations. Like God is just so merciful and, and steadfast and loving and kind, and he desires us to show that to one another, then there's no way that they would have condemned hungry people for eating food. They would have said, this is in right. keeping with all of scripture. But instead, their hermeneutic was distorted. And, and so they, they read scripture wrong, but they also applied it wrong. And they criticized and condemned people when they shouldn't have. This reminds me, of course, and I'm sure others that are listening to Micah 6. So Hosea 6, but also Micah 6. Micah 6, verses 6 through 8, it gets quoted all the time. It's a phenomenal passage. Uh, Micah says, with what shall I come before the Lord? Of course, he's speaking as if he's the people. What shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams and ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has told you, O oh man, what is good and what the Lord what does the Lord require of you, but to do justice and to love kindness. The Hebrew word there again is chesed and to walk humbly with your God. This is what God wants. Do justice, love kindness and walk humbly with your God. So, I think that what Jesus says here, what we read throughout the scriptures, throughout the prophets, is that 
part of our hermeneutic, the, the primary layer of our hermeneutic should be the character of God. And some even suggest, uh, there's a book that I read recently that that suggested that that should be our only hermeneutic or our, our, our very primary hermeneutic is the character of God. Um, but I think that's really broad, right? I mean, I think that sure. if we say God's character should be the lens through which we read scripture, yes, I completely agree with that. But I think that there kind of needs to be guardrails on that because otherwise I think we could say, well, you know, God did this or God did that. And so I think that means that God's character is such and such. And so I'm sure that the the, the Pharisees would have thought if you had said that to them out loud, the, the character of God should be the lens through which we interpret the scriptures. They would, I don't think, would have a problem with that and would think that sure. they were doing that. But they misunderstood the character of God, which goes back to what Hosea 6 says. It says, I desire the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. But that's the thing. The Pharisees didn't know God. When God showed up in the flesh, they rejected him. They despised right. him. They hated him. They, they nailed him to a cross, which was proof they didn't really love God. And so that in and of itself should give us pause to say, okay, if the character of God should be our the lens through which we read scripture, and and that's really broad, so we kind of need to narrow it down a little bit. I think narrowing it down to the what is revealed about God in the person of Jesus Christ is helpful. Mm, so yeah. we could say, well, the character of God is continually unfolded. God gives us in the scriptures his self-revelation that is unfolded throughout the scriptures. So God is continually revealing himself to his people and to the world. This is who God is. But the ultimate revelation of God's character is Jesus. Jesus is the ultimate revelation of God's character. So let's read um, Hebrews. I know I'm throwing out a lot of verses here. Hebrews chapter one, verses one through three. Mm -hmm. I'll let you read that when you got it, Travis. Hebrews, Hebrews one, one through three. Got it. Long ago, God spoke many times and in many ways to our ancestors through the prophets. And now in these final days, he has spoken to us through his son. God promised everything to the son as an inheritance. And through the son, he created the universe. The son radiates God's own glory and expresses the very character of God. And he sustains everything by the mighty power of his command. What he had cleansed us when he had cleansed us from our sins he sat down in the place of honor at the right hand of the majestic God in heaven. Okay. So you have to read, re I, I get caught up in, in how beautiful that translation is, the new living translation. <laughs> Very modern. Yeah. I, I, I get caught up in how it sounds and I, I forget to compare it with the ESV. How, how does it say in verse three? What, what does it say? Verse three. The sun radiates God's own glory and expresses okay. the very character of God. Expresses the yeah very character of God. I like that. Expresses the very character of God. The e yeah. English standard says he is the exact imprint of his nature. Oh, um, I like other that. passages would be like uh, John 1 or Colossians 1. Just this idea that Jesus embodies the entire character of God. He is the imprint of his nature, the radiance of his glory. And so I think it's, it's really helpful to say broadly, the character of God is our hermeneutic. Yes, mm -hmm. but we need to get a little more specific. And then the little bit more specific for me is the character of God as revealed in Jesus is our hermeneutical lens. 
Again, that's a that's a mouthful. Mouthful. Um, but yes, the character of God, but more specifically, the character of God as revealed in Jesus. Because this is what Jesus. This is what the whole Gospel of John is about. Is that if you've seen Jesus, you've seen the Father. You don't need right. anybody to show you the Father because if you've seen Jesus, you've seen the Father. So let's just kind of stop right there for a second. We'll get to the cruciform part of this in just a second, but let's just kind of stop there and kind of contemplate the the practicalities of that. What do you think, Travis? I mean, as you were growing up and as you were thinking about how to read scripture, mm-hmm. were there were there ever any stories that that teachers or preachers or churches that you went to that they gave you to sort of give you a lens through which you interpreted everything else? Do you remember any stories like that hmm. for you? Well, I know one that comes to mind and it, it seems to sort of be the, the way I'm kind of hearing what we're talking about, kind of at the edges always of, of when you think about the character of God is so many stories in the Old Testament where we see God sort of finally and, and some would say brutally uh, deciding once and for all for a people, for a nation, mm-hmm. for a city you know, I've had enough of you. I, I, you know, your, your, your iniquity is complete, uh, is that, you know, that phrase we see throughout the old Testament. And I definitely think that whether it was somebody else sort of, uh, using that as an example, um, and I picked up on it or just, I think that's something that as I read scripture is sort of always at the edges of my mind is like, the, the difficulty that I think a lot of people have of like, we see Jesus and Jesus is certainly tough on sin, but he's merciful and he's loving and he's kind. But then if that's the character of God, how do I, how do I hold that, that together with the fact that, well, people have, you know, whether it's the flood, whether it's, you know, nations in Canaan, people have degenerated to the point where God says, I can't help you and I can't stand to see this iniquity anymore. So I, I think that's definitely one that is sort of a probably still a tension for me to hold mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. in understanding the character of God. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm so glad that you brought that up because I think that's exactly right. And I think that's why our hermeneutic has to go one step further. Because if we just if we just think about Jesus himself, and it's mm-hmm. true, like I don't want to diminish that at all. It is absolutely true. And it actually actually does create that sort of tension where we say, okay, especially as we think about the way I feel every time I read one of the gospel accounts or the way that I feel when we watch The Chosen, every time you and yeah. I talk, we, we talk about The Chosen. But if we say this Jesus that's being portrayed by Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, or by by these uninspired movie makers, right. this Jesus is the exact imprint of God's nature, the character of God is fully embodied in him. If you want to see the father look at Jesus of Nazareth, I mean, that's like, okay, well, like, how do we do that? Like, I mean, Sodom and Gomorrah and the flood Mm -hmm. and Uzzah being struck dead and, and uh, Ananias and Sapphira. And, you know, like all of these different stories that we have throughout scripture. um, And we, we sort of have to, to, to say, okay, well, what do we do with these others? The, the problem I think that I want to hedge against and especially push back on, on sort of the way that I was taught to read scripture um, is that 
we tend to take stories like Uzzah being struck dead because he touched the ark. And we tend to make those our hermeneutical lens. And right. we say, okay, I'm going to, going to read the whole Bible through the lens of the people who got struck dead. And this is who I'm going to understand that God is primarily. This is going to be my primary understanding of God, that God is like an angry fire that's just going to burn people up if they, if they make the wrong step. Mm. And that's going to be my primary lens. Well, what we do is we, then we sort of have to diminish and, and de-emphasize all of the passages that talk about God's mercy and long-suffering because they're there, even in the Old Testament, that they're there. Absolutely. Rather than the other way around, which the New Testament actually teaches us to do, the New Testament teaches us, okay, let's turn that on its head. And Jesus becomes the primary filter, the primary lens through which we read. And then we have to try to figure out, okay, well, how do all of these other passages fit into that? If Mm. if instead of saying God is this angry, vengeful God, and somehow we have to fit Jesus into that picture, instead we say, actually, God the Father is exactly like Jesus, and somehow we have to reconcile those acts of judgment and justice and vengeance with the God who is Jesus, who is who is the perfect representation of who God is. And I think that's why the cruciform part of that, and by cruciform we mean the cross, something that's shaped like the cross, that's why that becomes so helpful, I think, as an interpretive lens, because it helps put everything in perspective. From page one of the Bible to the last page of the Bible, it helps to put everything into into proper perspective. So we could say the character of God, that's our hermeneutic. Okay, what do you mean by that? Well, what I really mean is the, the character of God as revealed in the person of Jesus. Great. What do you mean by that? Okay, what I really mean is the character of God as revealed in the person and especially the cross of Jesus Christ. So when I say cruciform hermeneutic, that's what I mean. And I think Paul is saying the same thing when he says to the Corinthians, when I was with you, I, I knew nothing except Jesus Christ and him crucified. The, mm. the crucifixion of Jesus, the cross of Jesus becomes the lens through which we see everything. It teaches us who is God? How does God love us? How does God see us? How does God want to interact with us? How does God see sin? What should I do? How should I live my life? Everything revolves around the cross about who God is, how God's love is manifest, and how God wants us to love one another. So I think when we see it in that light, then we can go back and say, okay, well, what about all of these instances where God struck people dead or where there are these wars or there are, you know, there's God's punishment or God floods the earth? And, and then I think when we read scripture that way, when we read especially the Old Testament that way through the lens of the cross, then we we start to see things that never really stuck out before, at least for me. Hmm. When I went back through the Bible and read it through that lens, as that lens grew more and more vibrant in my mind, and as I realized this is who God is, this is the ultimate revelation of God's character is the cross. Then I went back and read the whole Bible through that lens. And I began to see one of the primary ways that God's justice or judgment is talked about is by is in that people are allowed to suffer the consequences of their own behavior. That the natural consequences of sin is death. Hmm. Like that's not a God imposed consequence. 
It's the natural consequence of sin. The natural consequence of taking yourself out from under the protection and love of God is death. That's where you die. That's where you're exiled. And when you're exiled, when you take yourself out from under God's protection and provision, you die. Now, we could read the Bible, although it would be weird to read the Bible this way, that God wants you to do that, or that God is happy when you do that, or God is happy when you meet your end because you're out there all alone. He's not. He's begging the people, not just Israel, but he's begging the nations, come back under my kingship. Come back under my kingship. Let me protect you. Let me provide for you. And he's constantly calling them back to himself, calling, 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 calling. Now, eventually, as you said, if people stubbornly refuse to come back under God's protection and provision, they suffer the natural consequences of their, of their sin. Now, typically, that's not God striking them dead. Like, even if it's talked about that way, and sometimes it is talked about that way, sure. and sometimes that is what happens. God strikes somebody dead like Uzzah. But typically, that's not what happens. Typically, it's a foreign nation. Typically, it's somebody kills you, and God just doesn't protect you because you told right. God, I don't want you to protect me. I don't want you to provide for me. I don't want you to be my God. I'm going to put my trust in the armies of this of Assyria or in the armies of Egypt or in the armies of Babylon, or I'm going to put my trust in their gods. I'm not going to trust in you. And when you do that, you will suffer the natural consequences of your, of your sin and your rebellion, and that's death destruction. And we tear each other apart and we, we behave in self-destructive ways. That's what happens. That's what Paul says. The wages of sin, this is what sin earns, is death. And we all die. And we know that. We know we're, we're dying people. And then Jesus comes and says, let me take it. Let me take it. Let, let all of the worst of humanity, all of the worst consequences let it fall on me and and let sin do to me what it does to you even though i'm innocent and in Mm. doing that in one of the ways the bible talks about sin is like a cup and we just keep filling the cup up with our our sin and our iniquity and all of this garbage that we do and then it becomes this poison alcohol where when you drink it, you stagger and you stagger like a drunk person or you stagger like somebody who's been punched and hit and kicked and, you know, and, and hurt. And so Jesus says, I'll drink the cup. I'll drink it down to the dregs. I'll, I'll drink every drop of it. Doesn't want to, you know, because who would want to, but he wants to do his father's will. And his father's will is for people to be reconciled to him. And so he allows all of those, that sin and punishment of humanity, not Wes's sin, just my sin or your sin, just, but the whole, this is what humanity does to itself. This is what humanity does to one another. And Jesus allows it to be done to him so that in doing so, he can become a sacrifice to set us free from this cycle and this, this reign of sin and death. And it all falls on him. So that gives us a new way to understand understand everything that had happened prior to that. And, and some people make the mistake that there's a, a heresy known as Marcionism. And Marcion was a person who said, the God of the Old Testament is not the God of the New Testament. And he rejected mm-hmm. and condemned the God of the Old Testament and said, he's an evil tyrant. 
the God of the New Testament is like Jesus. But that's that's heretical. That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches yeah. that the God of the Old Testament is the God of the New Testament. The God of the Old Testament is Jesus. And Jesus is the embodiment of his father. And and this is what God ultimately always wanted to happen is for the consequences of humanity's rebellion to fall on him. Mm-hmm. And then for us to to adopt and embrace that that kind of self-giving love as our primary way of living so when paul i mean think about philippians or ephesians or corinthians anytime paul instructs people about how to live their lives it always comes back to the cross he doesn't just vaguely say hey do what jesus did like we used to have the wwjd bracelets okay great what would jesus do okay yes but that's too vague and too broad. I mean, Jesus right. ate fish. Does that mean I should eat fish every day? Jesus, you know, turned water into wine. I, I can't turn water into wine. Jesus, you know, whatever. Like, it doesn't mean do all of the, the little things Jesus did. The way the New Testament talks about it is take the cross and this self-giving love, this non-resistance, this selflessness, this self-sacrificing, this humility, this obedience, take this and live this out in every area of your life. This becomes the primary emphasis on which the the apostles put everything. Mm -hmm. And every time they teach us, here's how you should live. The cross is always the example. It's always the lens through which we, we interpret what's good, what's bad, what should I do, what's wise, what's foolish. The, the cross becomes that. And so then if we read the Old Testament and the New Testament through this lens, we say, this is how much God loves me. Yes. But also, this is what I should do in any given situation. And so, mm. I mean, even the story that we just talked about, um, the, the Pharisees, you know, they, they were very much put themselves in the judgment seat and the criticism seat. They wanted to criticize. They wanted to judge. They wanted to put people in their place. Right. And Jesus shows us another way, a way of, of loving people, a way of showing mercy, a way of saying, take my grain, take, take my food. I have some food. My family has some food. Let me share our food with you. That would be the way of the cross as opposed to, mm-hmm. I would rather you die. I would rather you starve to death than break the Sabbath. Jesus says, that's not God. That doesn't reflect the character of God. That's not a right reading of scripture. And if we're going to read scripture rightly, then the cross has to be the lens through which we read every page of the Bible. So I've talked enough. Let's, what do you think about that, Travis? What, what comes to your mind as we, as we sort of hash that out? Well, yeah, man, two, two big stories came to mind. I, another one that, it always comes to my mind if I if I find myself getting too caught up in the well the judgmental wrath you know fire and brimstone God as if it's a different you know as we've talked about as mm-hmm. if it's a different character I always think about Jonah and how you know we always focus on the fish and the him running away but I mean the the what he's running away from is telling a foreign nation a foreign city that God wants them to turn away from their sins. And when he finally does that, you know, and there's Jonah's story that he's not very happy that they turn around, but they turn around. And it, it, it makes me, of course, 
speculate wildly about like, well, I wonder how many times God did that, how many times a nation did turn around and were, you know, saved from their own destruction in that way. Mm. So I always think about that story that, well, even like you said, it's not something that God desires for people to get the consequences of their sin. Um, but the other story I was also thinking about, um, and I feel like we could do a whole other podcast on can this is, yeah, can I interrupt please, you right there, please. L- let's, let's talk about Jonah for a second, because that's such a yeah. great point. And I think that if you, if you were to read that prior to Jesus, I mean, it's a really interesting book to be in the it Hebrew is. scriptures, especially when you think about how, how very much like Jonah, so many of the Jewish people were in the time of Jesus. I mean, they had this book and this book, right. it condemns their ethnocentrism that says, God is a loving, merciful, forgiving God, but we want God's love and mercy and forgiveness for us, right. not for we're all the chosen. you pagans yeah. out there. Right. We're the chosen people. You're not. So God's love belongs exclusively to us and not to you. And the book of Jonah shreds that theology. It shreds it to pieces. And it says, this is not the will of God. The will of God is that everyone experience his character. So the character of God certainly should have been Jonah's lens through which he read the scriptures, and it wasn't. And he needed to learn that God is long-suffering, but his long-suffering, his hesed, isn't just for Israel. It's for the nations as well, if they're willing to avail themselves to it. But Jesus, I think, and the cross of Jesus especially gives us, again, this even better lens through which to read Jonah because Jesus yeah. becomes like the better the better Jonah. And Jesus yeah. becomes the, the one who doesn't refuse the instructions to go to the lost nations. Jesus mm-hmm. goes to the lost nations and he dies not in rebellion to God because Jonah essentially died and was swallowed up by the fish. And Jesus dies in in obedience to his father's will. And then right. he is resurrected, much like Jonah is resurrected. And the nations are brought to God through Jesus's love and self-sacrifice, as opposed mm. to stubbornly, fine, I'll take the message to the nations if you make me take the net, but I don't, right. I'm not happy about it. And I wish you'd destroy them. Jesus becomes like Jonah in so many ways, but the antithesis of Jonah in so many ways. And again, I mean, there's not a single passage. We could read Joseph through the same light. We could read Moses mm-hmm. through the same light. And, and, and it takes these stories that revealed so much about the character of God, but then they are illuminated to the nth degree when we read them through the story of the cross. So, sorry, I didn't want to pass Jonah up before we no, kind of talked about that. What was your other story? My other story, and uh, it's one that I, I, I've thought about for several years, and, and it's... Again, I don't want to take us on too much of a rabbit hole, but I'd be interested to know what you think about this, because when we're talking about the character of God, maybe no other story jumps to mind more than when Jacob wrestles with God Mm. and the name that is given to him and then the people that arise from him, Israel, those who wrestle with God. I think about that and how, you know, when we talk about God allowing the consequences for people's sin to consume them. I think one of the big differences between that and being God's people is being one that wrestles with God, that wants to contend with God, that yes, we're human and we're struggling with sin, but but we're willing to, we, we're willing and we want to bring it to God's feet and let him sort it out 
and oftentimes, you know, I mean, it, it's in the story of Jacob as a literal wrestling match, but it, it feels like a pretty literal wrestling match in our lives. I think as well, that, that it's that, that the difference between somebody who's beyond saving and the people that God is going to, God's going to contend with you and fight for you to be saved mm-hmm. is those that will also that you're willing to contend with God. You're willing to mm-hmm. wrestle with God. Anyway, that, that, that story just comes to mind and it's one that I still, I, I feel like I'm still trying to get to the bottom of that story. Yeah, but. it's so good. And so here's how I tend to think about it. I, I tend to read that story and I think, why would, whether this is an angel who is representing right. God or you know, however God is is manifesting himself in this story, mm-hmm. the 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 point that God is so much stronger than Jacob is obvious from the beginning to the end. Like right. God doesn't have to allow himself to be wrestled with. Right, right. And, and that's the amazing thing that God allows Jacob to wrestle with him. Yeah. And, and that becomes the story of Israel through, throughout the, the Old Testament, throughout history, that God allows himself to be wrestled with by this people. Like why? Yeah. Why put up with this people? Why put up with the people that are stubborn and hard to get along with? And they just want to fight against you. And God says, I will allow myself to be wrestled with by you. Mm. And and ultimately it I think only makes sense in light of the cross. That yeah. that's the ultimate act of saying, fine, kill me. Kill me. Kill me and I will bless you. Israel says, yeah, and I'll still says fight for in the you. wrestling match, I'm not going to let go of you until you bless me. And God allows himself to be wrestled with, not just in that match, but for thousands of years. He allows himself to be wrestled with until finally he brings a blessing to Abraham's family and to the entire world. And it takes him allowing himself to be killed. That is the condescension. And I mean condescension in the coming down of God. God condescended himself to our level. He became human. And he allowed himself to be wrestled with. He allowed himself to be executed and murdered. What kind of a God is that? (laughs) That's amazing. This is why it's scandalous. It was scandalous to the Greeks. It was scandalous to the Jews. It was scandalous to the Romans. It was scandalous today to say the God of the universe is one that says, take away my, my honor, take away my glory. I'll make myself a man. I'll let you... I'll let you despise me. I'll let you spit on me. I'll let you take a whip to my back. I'll let you put nails in my hands and my feet so that I can resurrect you and bless you. Wow. (laughs) What kind of a God does that? A God who is both holy and wants to be honored and respected, but says, if the only way you're going to honor and respect me, if the only way I can bring you back from your rebellion is to allow you to wrestle with me and murder me, I'll do it because I love you that much. And if that becomes the lens through which we read everything, it, it turns even the stories of God's wrath and anger on their head to say, wow, man, they, they really pushed him to the brink on this one. Because God said, enough, that's enough. No more, no more. We need a reset. And God would reset things, but he didn't give up on them. And he continued to allow them to wrestle. God's always been stronger. God could have stamped them out at any moment. 
but he allowed himself to be wrestled with and ultimately he allowed himself to be murdered because he loved human beings that much. Now, I just want to say a word too as we close that this is why that little things that we kind of get hung up on sometimes about ceremony and ritual, I'll just give one as an example. And, and I realize this may rub some people the wrong way, but it, it rubs me the wrong way. When, when I see people that, that get really nervous and scared because they baptize someone and their big toe popped up out of the water and they're like, oh, got to baptize them again. Their big toe popped up. Like I, I believe in full immersion. I believe in believer's baptism. I believe in all of those things. I think that's what scripture teaches. But to think that's the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible is the one that you tried to get immersed. You tried to be baptized. You tried to give your life to Jesus, but your big toe, it, it didn't. And so I'm going to use this opportunity to, to not resurrect you to life and not give you immortality. Even though you followed me faithfully, your big toe came up out of the water. That kind of God of technicalities who's looking for opportunities to deny people life, that's not the God of the Bible. And and when we we take stories like Uzzah, well, he touched the ark, you know, and God did that. Wait, look at everything else that was happening in, the, in context. Look at the entirety of scripture. Look at the lens of Jesus and the lens of the cross. When we take these obscure little stories and those become the primary lens through which we read, not only do we do silly little things like baptize somebody three times because their toe kept popping up out of the water. I think that's silly. But when we we become like the Pharisees and we hurt people and we criticize people and we become harsh and judgmental and we don't reflect the mercy and the chesed of the cross, then we're showing ourselves to not understand the character of God as revealed in the person and the cross of Jesus. And, and that's where it becomes real and that's become where it becomes really sinful and where we need to remind ourselves of what our true hermeneutic needs to be. Thank you so much for being part of the Radically Christian Bible Study Podcast today. We hope that you've enjoyed this episode. I want to give a special thanks to Travis Pauly and to our McDermott Road Church family for making this podcast possible. As always, we love you, God loves you, and we hope that you have a wonderful day.